and welcome to those of you who are here as well. If you didn't already grab one, uh, there's handouts on the stand back there. I've got some more up here as well. And uh, this is kind of our first time trying this schedule where just worship wrapped it up and it's kind of like, all right, people, come on, let's keep moving, keep it moving here. And uh, I even forsook uh, the greeting folks at the door, which I don't, I don't like doing that because I'm Italian. And of course I want to visit with everybody there, but um, that's okay. I'm really just uh, thrilled to be resuming Bible study and to thank you all for, for gathering this morning. I'm excited. Spiritual disciplines and why we are doing this and kind of got a softball with it in today's epistle reading as well. St. Paul talks about the importance of spiritual discipline. It's not so that we are meriting grace with God. We've already been given everything in Christ Jesus. But with, he says, so run that you may obtain it. In other words, look, you have been redeemed. You are forgiven. You belong to Christ. Therefore, live in a way that, that honors what you have already received. And strive to be even more faithful in that calling and more fruitful in it as well. And so we're going to be looking at a series of the spiritual disciplines and kind of work our way. Well, this goes along with the sermon today, I guess, as well. We're going to start with the more um, interpersonal disciplines and work our way more towards the outer ones as we go along. And today, what to me is kind of just the foundational spiritual discipline, which goes by different names. Some people talk about in terms of their devotions or their time of meditation. I like to call it daily prayer. And uh, I'll go into more why that is today. But why don't we start our Bible study on daily prayer with a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we're so grateful to gather together to study your word. And we pray that you would illuminate our hearts and minds with your truth, that you would lead us into a deeper relationship with you. And so that we might not only understand your scripture, but live your scripture. We pray by the power of your spirit in Jesus name. Amen. All right, so take a look at your handout here. Number one on your handout says this, possessing a Bible isn't the same thing as profiting from the Bible. Uh, there's been a bunch of uh, studies to this effect, but this is from Barna um, a couple of years ago where it shows Bible ownership remains strong, but readership remains weak. Uh, it's kind of small, but it says 88% of households own a Bible. 4.7 is the average number of Bibles per household. That's kind of funny. I've got 4.7 Bibles in my household. Uh, but then it says 37% of Americans read it once a week, which means that how many actually read it once a week? About 10% probably, right? This is one of those things that uh, people have a motivation to answer, perhaps not fully truthfully. Uh, suffice it to say, it's no more than 37% are reading the Bible every week. And so uh, the study from Barna went into the question of, well, if the Bible is out there, a lot of people have it, why aren't more people reading it? And this was kind of the big takeaway here, what you have um, in that paragraph below the picture, infograph. So what keeps people from reading the Bible they own? Like all other forms of analog media, analog media, the Bible is pushed to the side in part because people are just too busy. Americans don't often turn away from the Bible over ideological or emotional conflicts. Indeed, on the whole, Americans say they want to read the Bible. 62% wish they read scripture more. They just don't know how to make time. Does that resonate with you? That uh, whether it be for yourself or in the lives of others, it's not because they don't want to read the Bible. It's just like, how do I do that? How do I make that a daily habit or discipline? In my experience, this is often the case. Uh, folks are like, yeah, I'd love to read the Bible, but what do I do? Where do I start? Do I just do the old, you know, open it and kind of flip open to a page every time? That might work once or twice, but that's not going to work for a regular daily habit and discipline. 
So what we're going to do today is I'm going to give you some of the, the theological underpinning for why this is an important practice and how it's beneficial to us, but then get into some real brass tacks of how to do this if you're not already doing it, or maybe how to, to uh, bone up or level up your practice if it is something that you already do. Sound good? All right. How about a definition here? Number two on your handout. Daily prayer is the discipline of prayerfully ruminating on God's word. Daily prayer is the discipline of prayerfully ruminating on God's word. This is Pastor T's definition, but I think it captures the basic essence of it, that it involves prayer and it involves scripture. And it's those things together in a prayerful rumination. And I use that word rumination specifically. Um, this is inspired from Psalm 1. So Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So a couple of, of Hebrew points to make here, and I've mentioned this before, but first, when it says the law of the Lord there, the Hebrew for law is Torah. Let me hear you say Torah. Torah. And Torah, law, it often means law, but it's more general than that. It might be something akin to just God's revelation, okay? It can be law and gospel. This is God as he has revealed himself to us in Torah. But then the second word, a delightful Hebrew word here, is on his Torah, he meditates. And there the Hebrew word is haga. Let me hear you say haga. 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 He hagas day and night. Now, it's an interesting word because haga literally refers to the sound that, for instance, is used in the scriptures of a cow chewing its cud. It's a ruminant, right? It's ruminating upon it. It's also used of a, the sound that a lion makes purring over its prey after it's taken down the gazelle or the antelope. And, to haga doesn't just mean that you're... It means that you're ruminating upon it, right? This makes sense in Northern Michigan too with our wine friends, right? And you're not just throwing it back, okay? You're, okay, maybe. Um, but you're, you're taking it in, see? And I don't want to say that there isn't a place for reading more extended portions of scripture, uh, reading big chunks. You know, maybe you're like, I'm going to sit down. I'm just going to read straight through one of Paul's whole letters right here. I think there's real value in doing that as well. But when we talk about the discipline of daily prayer, many times it's small, small portions of scripture. It might just be a chapter or less than that. It might only be a few verses, but you are ruminating upon it. You're haggaiing on the scripture. And in doing so, keeping that vital connection to Christ. So if you flip to page two, <clears throat> um, I often go back to these words from Jesus in John 15, when he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So, and the discipline of daily prayer is another way in which we are abiding in Christ. Right? We are abiding in Christ, cultivating that connection to our Lord and uh, ruminating upon his word. So does that image, does that make sense to you? Or does that uh, open up any new vistas for you? Is that something that, uh, that's an, a new way of, of thinking of it? for you or how do you tend to think about the the reading and studying of of scripture if we think of it at all yeah esther yeah 
Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, new things. Yep. Yeah. And let it soak in. Yeah, so um, first of all, thank you. I'll pay you afterwards for the plug for the Salmanac. Uh, the Salmanac is the, this weekly devotional. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's a weekly devotional that uh, I've been doing on, on the Psalms. And the idea is, yeah, that you pray it each day and you just kind of, you mull it over. That's another way to put it, right? And just to, to take it in. Obviously, learning scripture by heart is another way that we do this. And um, I love that old collect for the word um, that we might read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the word of God. We need to metabolize the scripture and not just, we're not just, you know, trying to take it in and spit it out. We want to ruminate upon it, take it in. This is what daily prayer is about. It's that prayerful rumination on his word. All right. So let's talk about some of the benefits that come from this. And I know I am preaching to the choir here, but I think it, it's still worth reiterating this so that we're reminded why this really matters. Number three on your handout, daily prayer helps God's word to dwell in you richly. Okay. Uh, so there's a famous passage from uh, Old Testament book of Deuteronomy chapter six. You have the Shema, hear, O Israel. It's called Shema, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, um, I think that uh, Moses was speaking uh, principally, he was speaking figuratively there, that the word would always be on your heart and mind, but you might be familiar with the history of, of the Jews, that they took this quite literally, and they had what were called the phylacteries, where they would actually bind scripture on, um, you know, they would kind of have like a headband with scripture in the middle of it, right? Um, and there's the mezuzah, have you heard of the mezuzah before? The mezuzah is a little thing that would be on the doorposts, and uh, within the mezuzah, um, it would hold a tiny scroll, and on the scroll, I'm not sure if it was a standard scripture, probably the Shema in many cases, but I, I don't know that for sure. But it would be another thing. Have it on your doorposts. Have it on your gates. I think as modern people, we still do this in many ways. You know, you have, um, you know, prints on the wall of scripture passages, or maybe you have above the door, Joshua 24, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord, this sort of thing. But it, what it's really getting at there in Deuteronomy 6 is that God's word is suffusing all of our lives, right? And daily prayer is a way that helps it to do so. Again, from Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, I find it interesting, and we'll pick this up with another study that it mentions singing there, as well, another way that God's word dwells richly within us, but we'll, we'll take that up on another Sunday, but the God's word dwelling in you richly. Again, there's this sense. It's the qualitative aspect to it, that it's not just, um, okay, I'm going to run through this. This is what I'm supposed to do, but it's really ruminating upon it, letting the word sink in inwardly digesting it, taking it in. Okay. 
Are there other ways that you think of that God, helps you to have God's word dwell in you richly? We mentioned singing, learning scripture by heart. Are there other practices that you do that help you to God's word to dwell in you richly? Things that, that come to mind. Yeah. Really sinks in. Yes. Yep. Yes. Over and over. Yeah. So Hans says just reading, reading a passage over and over again. And perhaps some of you are familiar with the, the practice of what's called Lectio Divina, um, which would involve this kind of prayerful, repetitive reading of scripture. In its own way, um, the Taze music, if you're familiar with that, is kind of a, a sort of Lectio Divina for the ears with singing, where the Taze is the one that takes just a short phrase. Um, Chip, sing one for me. Bless the Lord, my soul, and bless his holy name. And it's just repeated over and over. I think it's Psalm 103. It's a way of, in which it sinks in. Good. Other ways in which scripture dwells in you richly? Yeah, Esther. Journaling. Journaling yeah. Oh, another plug. See, Esther, we might as well have you on the payroll. Um, so uh, in case you missed the announcements at the first service or you haven't been to service yet, um, Anne is going to be leading a ladies group. Sorry, guys, but a ladies group uh, through the season of Lent using this book, When From Death I'm Free. And this is kind of a, um, a prayer and scripture journaling, and it uses the hymns of Lent, um, both ancient hymns, but also some modern, uh, more praise song type things. And um, so she would love for me to uh, pump that to you again. If you're interested, talk to me or, or better yet, talk to her and uh, she'd be happy to get you in that. But yes, journaling is another way in which God's word dwells in you richly. Using all of our senses, I think is what we're, what we're talking about here. Using the ears, using the tongue, using the, um, you know, writing it out, all of these different ways, engaging with God's word. And all of those can be part of your daily prayer discipline as well. I don't talk about that a lot here today, but all of those things can be incorporated into your, uh, into your daily discipline. All right, number four, daily prayer helps you to mature in faith. This probably goes without saying, but as I like to say, if it goes without saying, it doesn't get said. So there it is. Like newborn infants, Peter writes, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Love how Peter puts it there, that you may grow up into salvation. Uh, as Paul puts it elsewhere, mature manhood or womanhood as the case may be. That this is who you are in Christ already is complete, perfect. And that now we are growing up into the reality that God has already spoken over us. See, that this is, this is who you are in Christ. Already you are complete. Already you are pure and fulfilled uh, but now we are growing into that reality that God has spoken over to us, over us. Uh, so we continue to read the scripture, to uh, meditate upon it. Uh, here's a beautiful passage from the book of Hosea. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. Think of that as another image for this practice of daily prayer. Dwelling beneath God's shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon, like the wine of Traverse City. Um, again, the idea of dwelling under God's shadow is this place then where we flourish of living with his word and living in prayer. 
And then again, 2 Corinthians 3, this will be one of our readings for next uh, Sunday in worship. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So here, a marvelous image from Paul. He says, as we are beholding the glory of the Lord. And here, again, in, in daily prayer, it's simply putting ourselves in a position where we can receive from God, like Mary sitting at the feet of the Lord, right? I'm just going to dwell in his shadow. I'm going to, to come under his blessing. And as I do so, beholding his face, notice the, yeah, um, the voice of the verb here, are being transformed. Where's my grammar nerds? What's the voice there? It's a passive voice. It's a passive voice. It's not saying you will transform yourself, but you are being transformed. And this all comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So it's not about us, um, you know, picking up our moral bootstraps and making ourselves into this kind of person, but it's simply dwelling beneath the shadow of God's wings, being present with him, adoring him, then in and through that, he is transforming us more and more into his likeness. It's a beautiful image, and it's one of, of peace and grace. It's not a legalistic thing. Okay, so let me give you one more, no, two more reasons, two more reasons why daily prayer is a salutary discipline. Number five, then, on page three, daily prayer keeps the devil at bay keeps the devil at bay. So instead of an apple a day, keeps the doctor away. Daily prayer day keeps the devil away, right? Um, First Peter 5, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Uh, I feel like lately I've been talking a lot of spiritual warfare type stuff, and maybe that's just kind of where things are at in our, our world right now. But it's not inappropriate, I don't think, because we need to keep in mind that the, the spiritual battle, the cosmic contest continues. And where the devil would love to lead us is to a place where we are lulled into uh, just ignoring it or forgetting about how he is present. Uh, he's continually pursuing us. And if there was any a person who was sensitive and discerning of this kind of spiritual battle, it was Martin Luther. Some would say he was a little bit neurotic when it came to it, and that might be. I can't speak of that personally. But he did write of this a lot. And here's a passage from the large catechism. He says, let me tell you this. Even though you know it perfectly and are already master in all things, you understand he's got his tongue firmly in cheek here. Still, you are daily in the dominion of the devil, who ceases neither day nor night to steal unawares upon you to kindle in your heart unbelief and wicked thoughts against the foregoing and all the commandments. Therefore, you must always have God's word in your heart, upon your lips, and in your ears. But where the heart is idle and the word does not sound, he breaks in and has done the damage before we are aware. Before we even realize it, Satan likes to sneak in and mess things up. And so, again, keeping this discipline of daily prayer, not just waiting for, oh, when the, the muse hits me, when the mood strikes me, maybe I'll uh, dust my Bible up off the shelf, but making it a regular discipline because Satan, he doesn't, he doesn't rest. 
So we shouldn't rest in this respect. Now, that being said, remember, God does not rest either. And his holy angels are constantly um, uh, accompanying you. So I don't want you to give the impression like, if I don't do daily prayer today, then the devil's got me. Okay, that's not the message here. But it's about being vigilant, staying awake and aware and recognizing that battle is continuing. All right. Well, yeah. Yeah, good question. Sure, right. So um, Chip asks, what, what does that look like for the devil to, you know, getting after you? And I would say that the number one thing, the, got to remember what his goal is. And his goal is to drive a wedge between you and God. His goal is to drive a wedge between you and God. So what does he need to do to do that? I think we tend to think of this and more kind of um, cliche ways of just, you know, it's having too many cookies or donuts or something like that, or an extra punch key on Fat Tuesday, all right? Um, whether or not you should have an extra punch key is probably between you and the doctor, and the devil doesn't matter too much to him, except in this respect. What he's trying to do is drive a wedge. So where he leads us into sin, the reason sin is problematic is not because it makes Jesus sad. The reason sin is problematic is because it creates shame and guilt in our hearts that then pushes us away from God. It doesn't push God away from us, see? He is always there coming after us. But what sin does is it makes us think that we are unworthy or unable to come into his presence. That's where the real danger is for sin, for the Christian, is not that, oh, this one sin is going to be the one that, you know, breaks the camel's back. But it's that in sin, it pushes us away. And the reason that it pushes us away is this is the devil's real trick. And what this looks like is that he is constantly needling you and me with how you have failed, with how you are insufficient and unworthy of God's presence. You think you're a Christian? <laughs> oh, gosh. Would a Christian talk that way? Would a Christian act that way? Would a Christian do that? Even things like good things discipline of daily prayer. Well, if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't have neglected your time of daily prayer this morning. He'll use anything and everything to try and get after us, to addle our conscience, see. Um, but when we spend that time in prayer and the word, then we are continually being armed by, by the Lord to, so that when the devil comes with that kind of accusation, we're able to say, beat it, devil. You're a liar. I don't need to hear from you. I know what God has spoken over me. I know who I am in Christ, what he says over me. So I think that's his, his main tactic. I mean, he's a liar. He's the father of lies. He wants to lead us into lies and to believe them about ourselves. So, yeah. Other questions or comments about that? God never rests. Oh. Good. Yeah. Good question. So um, somebody's reading their Bible. That's right. Hans says, well, wait a second. God never rests. What about in, in creation on the seventh day? God rested. Touche. Now, um, it's interesting because one of the principal ways that Jesus initially runs afoul of the religious leaders is because he's healing and, and preaching, doing things when? On the Sabbath. And he says at one point in precisely this kind of context in John chapter five, he says, my father is always working and I am working. In other words, it is the prerogative of God and God alone to keep at it even on the Sabbath day, to have that day of rest, therefore, uh, for the creator of all things as still at that time, 
he is sustaining and upholding all things. So it's not as though on the Sabbath day, it's kind of like, well, wait a second, you know, we'll leave the light on for you, but I hope uh, somebody's in charge of this thing. Of course, God is still active and upholding it. But no, I, your point is well taken. And to recognize uh, the importance of rest and resting in him. But he's still working on us for sure. Good. Other comments, questions there? All right, one last reason why daily prayer is important. And this kind of goes along with the, the sermon today as well. Number six, daily prayer is necessary for the sake of your neighbor in need. Okay, so it's not just about you. It's about your neighbors who are in need, whether that be in need of salvation, they don't believe, whether that be in um, physical maladies that they're struggling with, whether it be their own struggles with Satan or with the world, with their own sinful flesh. And so Ephesians 6 uh, this is that great spiritual warfare passage, but I want you to notice where Paul ultimately leads it. So he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And in that dot, 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 that's where he talks about all the armor of God. But then he says, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul's saying, you need to pray. You need to pray for yourself, but you also, other people need your prayers. So even if you're like, man, I just don't feel like it today. I don't feel like getting up and praying. I got other things I could do. Think, I'm, you know, I'm doing okay. That's true. But what about your neighbor? Your neighbor who needs to be brought to the fullness of truth. Your neighbor who is struggling. And so in our prayers, we continue to intercede for others who are in need. And I want to share with you, um, kind of pause here for just a second. Um, in the sermon, I talk about the outer reason why we proclaim, which is our neighbor in need, our, the human need of others. And I told the story of Ralph, who um, told me that uh, if anybody, Ryan, if anybody is genuinely seeking truth, they ultimately end up at the feet of Jesus Christ. And, you know, you might think, oh, that sounds nice. I'm not sure if that's always the case. But I literally got this email today. This morning I read this. I want to share this with you. I couldn't quite squeeze it into the sermon. But there's an author by the name of, of uh, Paul Kingsnorth. He's an Irish author, um, a fiction writer, writes a lot of essays just beautifully. And I've been reading him for a while. And uh, I, this dropped into my email today that Kingsnorth writes this. Um, He's, he was asked the question, what about religion? He says, I've never been a scientific materialist. My suspicion that there is more to the world than mod modernity will allow for has informed my sensibility since I was a child and was the backdrop to all my environmental activism and writing. He was, a, he was big when the environmental movement was first getting started. Over the last decade, he says, I've been on an increasing determined search for truth. And you notice he puts capital T, truth. Oh, I should stop there. We've got a couple, uh, it's 1030. So when going to the Sunday school meeting, I'll let you steal away at this point. Um, he says, I've been on an increasing determined search for capital T truth. It's so interesting. Which as for so many lost Western people has taken me to all quarters. For five years, I studied and practiced Zen Buddhism. And I'm still grateful for the insights that accorded me, but there was something missing. In search of what that something might be, I explored Taoism mythology, Sufism, traditionalism, Alexandrian Wicca, okay, and all sorts of other bits and pieces. They all taught me something, but not enough. 
Then in 2020, as the world was turned upside down, so was I. Unexpectedly and initially against my will, I found myself being pulled determinedly towards Christianity. It's a long story, which I might tell one day. Suffice it to say that I started the year as an eclectic eco-pagan with a long-held unformed ache in my heart. And I ended the year a practicing Christian, the ache gone and replaced by the thing that all along I turned out to have been looking for. And in January, 2021, I was baptized. So there you have it, folks. And I dare say, go back to where I was going with that. Somebody was praying for him, maybe a lot of people, as he was on that search and ultimately ended at the feet of Jesus Christ. Marvelous thing. All right, we've got about 10 or 15 minutes here. So let's make a turn into the practical side of it. Well, before I do, any other questions or comments just about kind of the, the theological basis or why this is a, a beneficial discipline? Okay, cool. I want to give you then some, some practical uh, counsel here. Your mileage will vary. Take it for what it's worth, but just um, to, be, to be helpful. So number seven on your handout on page four, Luther's four-strand wreath is a helpful aid for prayerful meditation, for this rumination. So Luther uh, wrote this little essay, and you can find it, uh, actually it was a letter. You can find it online, and I've got copies of it if you'd like. And it, it later got bound and entitled, A Simple Way to Pray. Because Luther was asked by his barber, I think his name was Peter, Peter the barber, uh, you know, as he's you know, shaving Luther, <laughs> giving him his cut, saying, he asked him, Dr. Luther, how do I pray? You know, how do I pray? Just in a moment of vulnerability. And Luther said, I'm going to write you a letter about that. And so Luther wrote him this beautiful letter. I'm so glad that we've still got it preserved. And in it, Luther talks about prayer and especially this kind of prayerful rumination of daily prayer as a four-strand wreath, a four-strand wreath. And he said the strands, the four strands are these, instruction, thanksgiving, confession, and petition. So what he says is, Whenever you're reading the scriptures, whether it be a small portion or a big portion, you can kind of ask yourself these four questions. First of all, instruction. What is this text teaching me? As I'm reading this passage, what do I learn about God? What is, what is he telling me about, about himself or about his truth? Secondly, thanksgiving. What does it show me to be grateful for? Recognizing that everything is a gift, what does this uh, lead me to be grateful for before God? Then confession. How does this text convict me of sin, realizing that all have fallen short of the glory of God, and I'm continually falling short of his, his truth. How does this text convict me where I need to confess? And then finally, petition, what we generally think of as prayer, which of course it is, but not the only aspect. What need arises as a result of this passage? What do I recognize I need that I, I want God to uh, satisfy? So there isn't a clever acronym here, ITCP, um, but this is the four-stranded wreath. And I've used this over the years, just um, not all the time exclusively, but occasionally when you're reading a scripture, it can be helpful just to go through those four strands. Think, Lord, what are you teaching me here? What are you giving me to be grateful for? Where does this lead me to confess? And finally, what do I need as a result of this? Now, I mentioned also, some of you might be familiar with um, what are called Acts prayers. Raise your hand if you've heard of the Acts prayers before. Okay, some of you have heard of that. And that is an acronym, which is more handy. And the ACT stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. So this maps on almost perfectly 
to Luther's four-stranded wreath. Um, instead of instruction, it speaks of adoration. But ultimately, to be taught by the Lord is to adore him and to give thanks to him for what he has done. And then it, it just reverses confession and thanksgiving in the order. But ultimately, supplication, petition, same idea. So if Acts helps, is, if that's more memorable for you, then God bless it, um, by all means. But the idea is just kind of thinking of scripture like this diamond with many sides, many facets, right? We're just taking it and looking at these different sides, ruminating upon it, and then praying it back to him. All right, number eight then, developing a daily prayer action plan. This is the type A side of things, so just bear with me here. It can help you to bridge the gulf between good intentions and regular practice. We heard at the beginning, 62% of those surveyed said that they wish they read the scriptures more. They want to do it, but they're not sure how to do it. So let me just give you a simple action plan for if that's you, if it's something that you want to make this a daily discipline, how you can do it. And um, I want to submit to you that you need to answer these three questions, and it'll put you in a place in order to do this. First question is, what resources are you going to use? Sounds a little too sterile, but what I mean is, are you just going to have the Bible? Just, you know, you, you and your Bible, um, perhaps with a, a reading plan. Maybe it's a one-year reading plan, a year through the Bible, or a two-year reading plan. Many Bibles have this in the back of them, in those pages that you don't look at as much. You might open it up and find, oh, here's a reading plan right there for me. You can also use, I don't have the worship folder handy, but on the back of our worship folder, we put a daily lectionary, which actually comes out of the hymnal. And that daily lectionary, it's not a one-year whole Bible reading plan. It'll, in a year, it covers the whole New Testament and about a third of the Old Testament. So that's pretty good. And especially if you're going from nothing, that's a great place to start. If you're like, I want to start reading the scripture, and you can do those readings in 10 to 15 minutes a day. It's about 15 verses from the Old Testament, um, give or take 15 to 25, and same with the New Testament. You can read that in 10 or 15 minutes. So maybe you'll just have your Bible along with your reading plan. Um, others of you, I know, use Portals of Prayer, which is another um, great resource. Although I would especially encourage Portals of Prayer with um, a, a fuller Bible reading plan. You know, Portals of Prayer is great, but it might just give you a verse or a couple verses. So that's really good for that rumination, but I think it can also be good to read those bigger chunks. Uh, the Treasury of Daily Prayer is a wonderful resource. This is from uh, CPH, from Concordia Publishing House, and one that I've used um, off and on for the last 12, 13 years since it first came out. The Treasury of, Treasury of Daily Prayer is kind of like a one-stop shop. So it includes those readings from the daily lectionary, um, so right from the hymnal. So it prints it out right there. And then it also has a, a prayer, a collect for the day. It has a little devotional writing, kind of like a, a portals of prayer type thing, although it's often keyed to the church year. So if it's a, you know, a feast day for a particular saint, it'll talk about that. And it has a psalm. And it has it all right there, as well as a bunch of other resources as well. So I really recommend the Treasury of Daily Prayer. I found So it is a book, um, and it's kind of a big Big, big fat book, and it comes with the ribbons even, so that you can, yeah, it, it's fancy. Um, however, uh, for those of you who are more digitally minded, um, it's also an app. Um, so if you search the app store or whatever, I think it's just called Pray Now. You search the app store for Pray Now, you get all of the contents of the Treasury of Daily Prayer right on your phone or your tablet or what have you. I think it's like 10 bucks for the app. 
Um, so, you know, that's not a bad thing to have, even if you have the, the book copy as well, so that if you're traveling, you don't have it on you, you can pull it up real easily. So, yeah, you can find that from CPH. If you're interested, I've got, you know, my copies. I'd be happy to, to show you that. So the first question is, what resources are you going to use? Secondly, when will you set time aside? This is so important. You can't just assume, oh, whenever there is time. Because, like it uh, said in the survey, the number one reason people don't read their Bible, we're all too busy. We're all too busy. And you retired folks, you're the busiest ones among us, I've found. You know, it's like you retire, you think, oh, now I'm going to take it easy, right? Live the good life. No, now you're doing all these other things that you were doing before. So wherever you're at in life, you need to set time aside. And again, if you're even more anal, you can even put it into your date book or on your calendar, right? Meeting with Jesus. Now, one benefit to that can be, I've talked about this before, you know, maybe you get the ping on your phone or something like that that reminds you, or somebody says, hey, you know, uh, can we talk? Or I've got a meeting for you at such and such time. You can say, oh, you know what? I've got a meeting then. I'm sorry. Uh, I've said this before that if you tell people, oh, you know, uh, I've, I've, uh, I'm planning to go on a date with my wife, you know, say, ah, you can go on a date with your wife anytime. But if you say, ooh, my calendar won't allow it. Oh, okay. Sorry. I understand your calendar won't allow it. We, don't, we all have to deal with the calendar. Um, so carve that time out, make it consistent. Um, I think morning tends to be the best for me in my experience, but if you're not a morning person and do it right before you go to bed, um, but I think, I don't know. It, it seems like it works best if you have it at a time, not just some random time, but at like right when you wake up, right before you go to bed or right when you sit down right after lunch or something like that, carve that time out, make it consistent. And I say duration isn't as important as consistency. Okay. So it's not so important that, Oh, I've got to do an hour a day, but what's more important is that you, whether if it's 15 minutes a day, that it's every day. Right. And maybe every so often you've got more time. Hey, I'm able to spend an hour reading the scripture today. That's great. But 15 minutes every day is way better than an hour every so often. Right. Just make that regular habit, that regular practice and drip, drip, drip. God keeps feeding into you. And then the third question is, where will you be? Where will you do it? Now, this isn't one that you can always keep on. Other things come up, but I just found it so helpful. We are creatures of habit, right? Creatures of time and place to actually set aside a spot. This is where I'm going to have my morning devotion, my daily prayer. Prepare a holy room or a corner or a chair or a closet. You know, maybe you got a walk-in closet, put a chair in there, a flashlight, whatever it might be. Set aside a space. It is a little bit creepy. Jesus says, go into your closet. I don't know. Um, but this is important. Leave your resources right there. So leave your Bible right there. Uh, maybe you've got a, a candle right there, or even incense. If you're a little high church, you know, you've just got it right there so that those are cues for you. You want to take it one Pavlovian step further. I have a friend who used to have those little chocolates and she would put the chocolates right there. She could not eat those chocolates except for when she sat down to read the scriptures. And it was like the subconscious reminder, this is a sweet thing that I'm doing. So, you know, whatever it takes, but set that place aside. Recognizing you can't always get there, right? But to have that place, your book is there, your, whatever your resources might be, that time's aside. And so if you can fill in this italicized sentence that I've got on there for you, at such and such time, I will go to such and such place and practice daily prayer using such and such resource. 
so that I might prayerfully ruminate on God's word. If you can fill in that sentence, fill in those blanks, you are going to be well on your way to having a regular discipline of daily prayer. So the Greeks used to say, well begun is half done. And that is well begun. All right, got a couple minutes there. Practical questions or comments that you guys have or th other things that have worked for you um, in making this uh, a discipline, other books that you'd recommend, anything like that. Yeah, Esther. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So Gordon says, you know, the, the Bible, if you don't read it, it's not doing you any good, right? It doesn't just have some magical powers. It's not a superstitious thing. So long as in your, it's in your house, it's going to, whoa, you got to read it. And can I just share this, Gordon, that you had said that you and Pat would read a chapter of the Bible together every day. Isn't that what you said? That you would read a chapter of the Bible. So there, there's a marriage tip as well. Right? <laughs> I, think that the, I think that there's a, a time and place for just, you know, personal reading it by yourself, but it can also be a wonderful thing to read it with your spouse too. So thank you, Gordon. Yeah, Esther. Yes. Yep. That's right. Exactly. That's uh, yeah. So that's a, a, another good point. So, you know, Esther saying how she thinks of this, not so much as a discipline, um, which granted can, can people think of that as a negative sort of thing, but as an opportunity. And I, I wholeheartedly um, second that sense of it, that it's not just a have to, it's a get to, um, to be in the presence of God. And you mentioned the coffee. So maybe the little chocolates don't do it for you, but maybe you, you know, you have your daily coffee each day in the time um, reading the word. I think that that would be a, a great thing as well. So let me just give you this last encouragement and admonition, number nine on the handout. Remember that when you fail to pray, still the spirit prays in you and the son prays for you. Even when we fail to pray, the spirit prays in you and the son prays for you. And there's this a beautiful passage, Romans 8. Um, many of you are familiar with this, where it brings both of these together. It says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we don't know what to pray for as we ought. You ever been there? Every day, right? Lord, I, I don't know how to pray for this person or I just feel like a bundle of confusion and struggle. Here, you work it out, right? And he can, and he does because the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And then a few verses later, it says, and Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Friends, like all of this, you can't mess it up. It's a get to that we are invited into the presence of God daily to delight in him, to adore him, to dwell beneath the shadow of his wings. But even when we fail to do that, still the spirit is praying in you. The son is praying for you. God is watching over you always. That is great comfort indeed. Let's pray. Dear Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you conspire for our salvation, that you, Father, have given us your blessing, that you filled us with your Spirit who intercedes in us, 
and that you have given to us your son who prays for us. We pray, Lord, that we would enter into this grace and that we would daily avail ourselves of your mercy as you give us the opportunity to dwell with you, to study your word, to ruminate upon it. We pray, Lord, that we would be like that blessed man who day and night meditates on your scripture and in doing so grows even more close to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you very much. Those of you who joined us here, those of you online, have a great week and we'll be back next week. God bless.